Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. You know a joke we haven't made in a long time? What's a joke we haven't made in a long time? And that's it. That's the end of the episode. We don't make that joke anymore. It's, it is sad. I bet our fans out there who've been listening since episode zero are absolutely infuriated by us. For not making that joke? Yeah. I was I was talking to somebody who was interested in the show. Then you told them about it and now they're not? That's usually how it goes. They allegedly were interested. And I did mention that we try to keep our, our lore to a minimum. So that if you listen to even this episode for your first episode, uh, you can get the, uh, the mediocre type of episode right from the beginning. So there you go we keep our lore down the only lore that's consistent is the producer doug lore and all of our guests to be fair they do all tie back with real people like producer doug is really a a real person who is also our producer and really does look like jjj that's right and is just as angry and he's really interested uh producer doug is also very interested in spider-man photos all right well (laughs) well that was a great episode thanks everyone for joining us today (laughs) I know, I know. Uh, I, and you know what? I just um, I w- just wanted to say thanks to Noah again for sending in the uh, the last episode oh, content. Yeah. yeah, we hope we hope Noah really liked last week's episode on No One Lives Forever, and we hope he doesn't hate this episode. <laughs> anyway, that's enough witty bants for uh, one intro. Seth, what have you been recently playing? You always know when our uh, when the episode's going to be short when the witty bants go on for a while. Because <laughs> it's the longest of bants. Zach, I've been recently been playing Agatha Christie Murder on the Orient Express, which is not nice. only just a there's a movie that is about the Orient Express. There is also a few. There is actually a few. There was one that came out recently, and then there are some other ones, and I believe they probably have a direct TV show as well. There was a radio play in the 90s. There was a Soviet radio play in the 60s. There was the 1974 movie with Albert Finney as Hercule Poirot. There was the Kenneth Brenner movie in 2017. There was a German television movie in 1955. There was also a 2001 made-for-TV movie starring Alfred Molina as Hercule Poirot. And a 2010 episode of uh agatha christie's poirot with david suchet where he plays hercule poirot again because he, he was playing hercule poirot for a while uh and there's also a 2015 japanese television adaptation and, and a video game <laughs> that that set this playing yes zach and i both like hercule poirot i like agatha christie too and yes the sequel <laughs> uh-huh. She came back. She came back. Actually, so um, Agatha Christie too. So there's a you know the 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 mail subscription service of Hunt a Killer. Yeah, they got the license for Agatha Christie. So they they did a promotion for their Agatha Christie themed Hunt a Killer game. This is not a promotion for them, but I mean, I guess I've never done a Hunt a Killer game. Um, they've seemed interesting though. But so they they had Agatha Christie themed Hunt a Killer game, and they said the Queen of Crime is back. A collaboration between Agatha Christie and Hunt a Killer, <laughs> and a couple comments were like, I had to look up <laughs> Agatha Christie to see if she was still dead. <laughs> 
That's funny. because she is, in fact, the queen of crime. And, and and we're gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna go into all of the stuff that Agatha Christie has done. Arguably, she we she lent a lot to not only murder mysteries in general, but also the literature genre and also adventure games as well that spawned off of her mysteries. She wrote a number of books, and mo- many of them, not all of them, uh, starred Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot, as I mentioned before, is a Belgian who speaks. French because he's a French Belgian, which you can also have a German Belgian. There's like a mountain pass in Belgian that splits the France side and the German side. Yeah. And I believe the German side was part of Germany for a little while and then it went back to being part of Belgium. Well, yeah, it was part of Germany for a little while during a little period called World War II. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. That's what I mean. Yeah. So what I was getting to is that her Poirot has a number of mysteries, and not all of them are murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> right, yes, that's very true. But primarily, the content, I guarantee you, if there's a media version, there it is about Orient Express. In fact, there's actually a mystery game done by Broderbund called The Last Express, which I believe takes some homage to the Orient Express. And then I believe there is also another Agatha Christie Orient Express video game. This is a remastered of that game, I believe. I don't have the original game, surprisingly. And I really like Hercule Poirot games. I really like Sherlock Holmes games, even though I um, generally know about most of the mysteries, which you would think because I know how it ends, maybe I wouldn't want to play it, but I still do. So anyway, Agatha Christie Murder on the Orient Express was developed by Microids Studio Lion and published by Microids. And you step aboard the legendary Orient Express and you get to play as Hercule Poirot. What I like about uh, Hercule Poirot is that he is he is a smart detective and he is a little bit different from Sherlock Holmes because he's not addicted to cocaine. So he's still a jerk. Like Hercule Poirot is objectively still kind of an asshole. Yeah, but I think he's just an asshole because he's an asshole. Sherlock Holmes is, I think, a more aggressive asshole than Hercule Poirot is. Now, I uh, I saw the game come out. It, was, it came out recently. This particular iteration of the game came out October 19th of 2020. Uh, So I've only had it in my possession for a short period of time, and I know it's Murder on the Orient Express. Ultimately, I know how it ends. You really can't change the story of Murder on the Orient Express. It kind of, uh, the way the mystery unveils itself, it generally, and it has to end the same way. And if you're familiar with Murder on the Orient Express, you'll say in your mind, yes, I know what he's talking about. If you're un- unfamiliar with Murder on the Orient Express, you can watch the Hercule Poirot movie, read the book, or play one of the many video games <laughs> featured around it. Or, as Zach pointed out, watch some of the other media that's about Murder on the Orient Express. But whenever I see a Hercule Poirot video game or a Sherlock Holmes video game available, I generally buy it. So I do own another Hercule Poirot game, which is Agatha Christie Hercule Poirot The First Cases. And it plays different than Hercule Perot Murder on the Orient Express. First Cases is a little bit more of um they're both puzzle adventure games, but I feel like First Cases you play as a young Hercule Poirot, and it's not as cinematic as the Murder on the Orient Express game. So if you want a more cinematic puzzle adventure game that's a detective game, then check out Murder on the Orient Express. If you want a more, uh, I guess, game game that's not as cinematic, you can check out First Cases. Or you, if you like Agatha Christie's and Hercule Poirot, you can pick them both up. But yeah, uh, like, like the train ride on the Orient Express... Uh, the murder on the Orient Express is truly about the, the, the ride versus the destination, and thus 
Uh, I'm excited to uh, continue to play Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. And maybe we'll have a, a sub-podcast where we just talk about Agatha Christie. Dad will probably want to be on that. She is a fascinating lady and has written a number of novels and a lot of them uh, are Poirot. So, Zach. Yes, Seth. What have you been playing recently? I have been recently playing uh, kind of in honor of Spooky Season, which just ended as of the recording of this episode. The game The Open House, developed by Corpse Pile, which came out, I believe, this year. It's a free game available on itch.io that can be either played in the browser or downloaded and played on your computer. And I don't really know how to talk about this game without giving away, like, major spoilers. But what I'll tell you is that it is a virtual tour of a house, 15615 Hala Oak Lane, by a company called North Tree Real Estate uh, that have put it up for sale. And you walk through the house and you read descriptions of the room that you're walking into. And sometimes you click on things and sometimes things happen. Uh, I will tell you it is a perfect game to play when the lights are off, you have your headphones on, and you're you're ready to get a little spooked. Um, There was one small moment where I nearly jumped out of my seat. There's not really any jump scares in the game per se, but there is something that happens while you're walking around if you're not paying attention. And then when you notice it, you're like, ah, and it like, it gave me a little spook. Uh, So that's all I'm going to say. If you like horror games, if you like spooky games, give it a try. If that's not really your cup of tea, don't play it. It is a spooky game, but that's the open house developed by Course Pile. It is for free on itch.io. You can play it in your browser or you can download it and uh, just play it on your computer. I will say it was fun going into it because I kind of had a feeling it was a horror game when I booted it up, but part of me also really believed it was just like a virtual house tour that some company put up on itch.io because they had nowhere else to put it. And then like the thing happened and I was like, okay, never mind. I know what this game is going for. So uh, yeah, without giving too much away, that's the open house. Ooh, that sounds exciting and spooky. You know what's also exciting and spooky, Seth? What's that? The fast food industry. That is true. The fast food industry is both exciting and also spooky. And today's episode is dedicated to fast food themed video games, specifically based on like established brands of fast food. So we're not talking about fast food tycoon. We're not talking about burger time. We're not talking about like any other game where fast food is involved. We're not talking about games that had fast food as the subject. We're talking about games that were given to us by fast food companies. That's right. And the way we're going to do this is because all of these games were developed by different people. They all have different stories behind them. We've kind of divided this episode into sections of games. So we're going to talk about kind of a set of games and then go into the next set, go into the next set, go from there. Starting off, we're going to talk about The Noid. Uh, So for those of you who did not live in the 1980s, like me, uh, The Noid was an advertising mascot uh, that was part of Dominoes. Uh, so the Noid was this guy who he's like a dude wearing the skin tight rabbit costume that was all red, like a latex red. He was primarily done in claymation. He had a black N on his chest that was in a white circle and his goal was to make sure that pizza would be delivered longer than 30 minutes because Domino had its 30 minutes or less policy so the Noid's job was that he wanted to make sure that pizzas always were late so Domino's would have to give you your pizza for free I guess. So this all became part of a larger advertising slogan, Avoid the Noid which also happens to be the title of a 1989 pizza 
PC game, Avoid the Noid, which came out for MS-DOS. The object of that game is you play as a pizza delivery driver and you have your half hour time limit, but you have to avoid the Noid or specifically multiple Noids that are swarming an apartment building trying to stop you by throwing random objects and such at you. It's a pretty simple game, but it kind of gets the, the, the point of cross of what they were going for with their advertising campaign at the time. Do you have an actual half hour to deliver the pizza in the game? It's an actual half hour. Maybe a little faster. I'm watching a gameplay footage right now, and the second hand is ticking down a little faster than, like, normal, but it's still, like, going at a tick, so. The game has really obnoxious-sounding music, which I'll drop in a little bit here. It's also very colorful. It used CGA graphics, so the colors are all like pink and blue and like very bright, bright colors. Almost like a follow-up game would come out as Yonoid, which I think is probably better known. Uh, Yonoid was covered by the Angry Video Game Nerd, so it kind of got a little bit of attention, but Yonoid is not by the same people who made Avoid the Noid, but it is also a game featuring the Noid, and it was an NES game where you play as the character of the Noid. Yonoid was created by Now Production and published by Capcom. In Japan, the game was sold as Kamen no Ninja Hanamaru, and was based on the engine for the game Wagon Land by Namco. Kamen no Ninja Hanamaru has nothing to do with the Noid, or Domino's Pizza. But what happened was when Capcom was bringing the game to the United States, they needed to localize it, and they thought what better way to localize the game than teaming up with Domino's to create a commercial, basically. The mechanics in the game are kept the same, the only thing that's really changed is certain graphics, so your character becomes the Noid, um, certain like power-ups turn into pizza, and um, there is a mini-game where you have to play as the Noid and smash pizzas using your pizza smasher. In the game, you have no life bar. You will die instantly when you touch an enemy or if the time runs out, and you can gain lives by earning points, um, where every 20,000 set of points will gain you an additional life. Now, Yonoid is a, an odd little game, but what's interesting is that shortly after its release, the Noid kind of stopped being an advertising character for Domino's. He really stopped being their mascot. Now, the company denies this, but it's possible that the reason for the discontinuation of the character was due to an incident in 1989 when a man named Kenneth Lamar Noid held a Domino's restaurant hostage with a 357 Magnum as he reportedly believed that Domino's had stolen his name. Noid would demand $100,000 from the company, a copy of the 1985 novel The Widow's Son, and a white limousine to get his escape in. He eventually did surrender to the police after he ate two pizzas and was charged with kidnapping, aggregative assault, and extortion. He was found not guilty by reason of insanity, and he spent the rest of his unfortunate rather short life in a uh, mental institution before he sadly took his own life. He was a man who was unfortunately very troubled, but it's widely believed that that is the reason why Domino stopped using the Noid as a character, at least throughout the 90s. They did bring him back briefly. In 2009, they ran a limited run of t-shirts. They had sold 1,000 t-shirts that featured the Noid. They also began using the character in various advertisements and such like that, such as during the 20 fifth anniversary of the Noid's creation, they released a Facebook game called the Noid's Super Pizza Shootout, which I think might have been not the 
best choice of a name yeah, or a no. game, considering the history behind the character. Not Maybe at all. Domino's was not thinking very straight with that one. Ultimately, the character would eventually return in 2021, so just a few years ago. Domino's brought him back full time as one of their mascots. There's also, fun fact, a freeware sequel to Yonoid called Yonoid 2 Enter the Void, which was done as part of a itch.io game jam, and the people who made it designed the game to kind of play like a PS1 and 64 game. Now, we talked about Domino's, who was arguably one of the main leaders in pizza and fast food. Now let's talk about one of the main leaders in hamburgers, and that is McDonald's. I'm released back in 1992 by Virgin Games for the NES. MC Kids, or McKids, I, I like that it's also MC Kids. Yeah, well, that's how it's stylized. It's M.C.Kids. Yeah. It's a platform where you play as either Mick or Mac, two children who look very, very 90s children, and who must travel through McDonald land to find McDonald's cards and golden arches. The game is very similar to Super Mario Brothers in terms of some of the graphics, but the gameplay is very different. Instead of jumping on enemies, you have to throw objects at them, almost like in Mario 2. You also have the ability to reverse gravity if you use a specific object in the game. The game is more based on finding the various items around the map rather than just getting to the end of the level. Interestingly enough, McKids was pirated and released as McMario in some parts of the world, with the main characters being replaced by Mario and everything else in the game remaining the same, which I think still works. It's just like instead of a child talking to Ronald McDonald in the opening cutscene, it's Mario talking to Ronald McDonald. But it's funny because they didn't change Mario's scale. So Mario is still the size of a child. So Ronald has to like bend over to talk to him. <laughs> Now, Mick and Mac's adventures do not end with McKids. There was a spiritual sequel released in 1992 for the Sega Genesis, also created by Virgin Games. This game, Global Gladiators, features Mick and Mac traversing through four worlds to collect a number of golden arches and save the world from pollution. Throughout the game, you are guided by Ronald McDonald, who is apparently some type of mentor for these children, or a threat. The gameplay is more of an action platformer with you wielding a water gun that can destroy monsters and bad guys. The game also, according to Zach, has a quote-unquote bonkers good opening song. Yeah, I'm gonna drop it in here. It is peak 90s. There's like record scratches. Are you, are you, are you ready? Yeah! Cool! Are you ready? Awesome! Yeah. Uh, now, a third McDonald's game would go on to be released in 1993 by Treasure, uh, which has done a number of other great games, such as Gunstar Heroes, and which has nothing to do with the Mick and Mac characters. In this game, McDonald's Treasure Land Adventure, you play as Ronald McDonald, and you must travel through various colorful worlds and collect pieces of a map to find buried treasure. Treasure, the company that developed it, was founded in 1992 by Masato Megawa and other former Konami employees. Reportedly, he was frustrated with developing sequels for the established series and wanted to work on an original game. This game that they wanted to make would be go on to become Gunstar Heroes. However, Treasure was not able to see her contract with Sega as they hadn't put out the game yet, 
So Sega said, why don't you develop a McDonald's-themed game first? Well, I guess the thing is, Sega was like, because they hadn't even made Gunstar Heroes yet. They could have been like, hey, this game you want to make sounds great, but we've never seen you make a game before. (laughs) Now, McDonald's Treasureland Adventure was developed at the same time as Gunstar Heroes and would share some of the same staff. The team often had to reject ideas that they had for the game, mostly because they didn't fit with the feeling of McDonald's, and they knew that they had to remain respectful to the license. The game also also helped the team become familiar with the Genesis hardware. The game was completed before Gunstar Heroes was, but they decided to delay it so they could release Gunstar Heroes first. Treasureland Adventure would be released in 1993 and sold around half a million copies, which is interesting because I don't know if it was sold at McDonald's. No, it was sold in stores. <laughs> which goes to show you kind of McDonald's market penetration that they could just be like, by the way, go to your local store and buy a game that stars our brand. The thing is, like, if you look at Global Gladiators, if you look at the cover for that game and you hear that name, you would not think it's a McDonald's game. It's it's not called McDonald's as Global Gladiators. Yeah. It's called Global Gladiators. And the picture for the cover is, like, it's two kids hanging out in front of a Flemloid. Like, it's literally a green creature and two kids, like, doing thumbs up in front of him. And it says, Global Gladiators. That's all. You would not know it's a McDonald's game until you, like, popped it in or if you just looked at the back and there's a tiny little golden arch at the bottom of the the label (laughs) they're like we're coming to get you this is like with their peak subliminal messaging phase (laughs) the the last mcdonald's games that we're going to talk about is not really a retro game as it came out this year however it is a retro themed type game uh released in june of 2023 and to celebrate the birthday of mcdonald's character grimace grimace's birthday was released for free by cruel toys it's free to play online in your browser but the coolest thing is that it's an actual game boy color game not just designed to look like a game boy color game an actual game boy color game that can run on real game boy colors the rom was able to be downloaded directly from the site and after flashing it to a cartridge if you desire the game could be placed within your game boy and you could boot it up and play grimace's birthday in the game you play as grimace who is the large purple monster and your job is to collect purple milkshakes because it's your birthday uh you also get to do skateboard tricks because you're cool also a purple monster now zach you actually did this right you downloaded it for free and then put it on a cartridge yeah i did and it works fine and then played it on game boy color and I played, I played, I played as the Grimace. My favorite thing about the Grimace is, first of all, he was first supposed to be evil, but now I think he's good. Is the Hamburglar evil? Hamburglar is evil. He steals hamburgers, but Grimace was introduced in 1971 as evil Grimace. But now he just hangs, now he's just kind of a lovable oaf, isn't he? According to Wikipedia, he steals milkshakes and is the embodiment of a milkshake or a taste bud. Fun. He's a milkshake stealer and the Hamburglar is a hamburger stealer. What, who else is in the cast of the McDonald's. Were there two children or twins? Was that Mick and Mac? Mick and Mac are just exclusively for the games. There are also the children that were featured in the VHS releases that were done by Klasky Supo of Ronald McDonald stories. Those kids are only for that. Uh, but there was also Mayor McCheese, oh, uh, yes, Officer yep. Big Mac. There was 
Captain Crook, who was a brief character. He was a pirate. Didn't, wasn't there a female There was Birdie. Um, there might have been a female Hamburglar. That, she's, in the, she's in the show. I forget her oh, name, okay. though. Uh, there are the Fry Kids, who are just... They look like Tribbles, I think, and they have arms or something. Oh, they're not like bananas and pajamas, except as fries. The MCU is uh, is vast, indeed. <laughs> the McDonald's Cinematic Universe. Then there was the, the TV show. Well, it wasn't a TV show. It was a direct-to-video VHS series created by Klasky Supo was called The Wacky Adventures of Ronald McDonald. It was live action, wasn't it? It featured live action segments, but then it had animated sequences that were animated by Klasky Supo. So they looked like Rugrats. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was always opened with a sequence of Ronald McDonald as live action and a puppet version of his dog. And they would be like, remember that time we did this thing? Oh, like the opening, the lamb chops. Yeah, exactly. But my favorite thing is that officially Ronald McDonald was voiced by two people, Jack Dopekey and David Hussey. But neither were credited because Ronald McDonald is credited as himself. Well, that's because when you become Ronald McDonald, you turn over all of your license W yourself to mcdonald's they actually write to the social security department and they change your entire person like identity now the next set of games we're going to talk about are games that i i only just recently remembered one of these because i literally was thinking of like things to put in this episode and i googled taco bell video games and someone posted a picture of some floppy disks and said does anyone remember these floppy disks you could get from taco bell and i saw one called jumping bean jamboree and i said i sure do yeah i did too there was a series of games released in 2000 on mini cd-roms or floppy disks developed by a company called brand games and these were jumping bean jamboree moon eater taco maker and tasty temple challenge yeah and this came out back in 2000 2000 yeah and now three of these games are very similar in the sense that Jumping Bee Jamboreen is literally just breakout. Taco Maker is burger time, but with tacos. And Moon Eater is you run in one direction on the moon and you shoot things with a guy. Tasty Temple Challenge is a full 3D first person shooter built in like a pseudo Doom engine. Is Tasty Temple Challenge kind of like the Taco Bell's version of Chex Quest? I'm pretty sure, yes. Uh, you play as a child as you go through an ancient temple and you have to find keys and you have to uh, shoot snakes with hot sauce. And when you shoot them enough, they explode and turn to dust, which I'm going to say is not the best way to advertise your hot sauce, implying that if you eat too much of Taco Bell hot sauce, you will explode and turn into dust <laughs> or that it's used to fend off poisonous snakes i mean arguably enough taco bell hot sauce will probably fend off poisonous snakes they also released a series of games based on the x games which are like the series of like hardcore sports of like bicycle riding and rollerblading i was reading through the notes as we were rolling through this episode and i got to the part where it was talking about taco bell's releasing a series of game based on the x game series of sports and i thought zach was putting in notes about the <laughs> the xcom series <laughs> That would be so and, fun. And then I was just thinking about a, a collaboration between Taco Bell and XCOM. Can you imagine a Taco Bell game where you have to send down a squad of people to go like, I don't know, go find a like burrito? So I just don't know. So I would I would expect that an XCOM Taco Bell collaboration would kind of be like Chex Quest. But instead of you playing as the Chex Quest aliens, you fight the Taco Bell 
products. So you know like in Checks Quest they have like Check Serial Man freaking like other pieces of checks people in checks quest right so like there's like the guy who's like a baked chip or whatever and there's like uh, aren't there other cereals or something like they're, they're not named but there's like a cheerio man and there's like yeah a there's like a cheerio man a puff man stuff like that so picture that except they're the enemy and they're burritos tacos and you have to you have to kill them with your squad of XCOM people but anyway that that's not a that's not a thing and then you have to dissect them and they're filled with guacamole <laughs> yeah uh this is the beam burrito dissection the x games series of games where yeah they're they're in line with the x games brand which i don't even know if x games are i assume they are around anymore they're still around they're like um a series of like hardcore sports like skateboarding and like bmx bike racing and stuff but it was um they did moto x in a game featuring motocross they did inline a game featuring inline skating and bmx a game featuring bmx uh they're all pretty similar to each other they're all basically just racing games or you do stunts though according to the website abandonware these games were not created by brand games these games were created by taco bell themselves which i don't really believe i think abandonware might have gotten their facts wrong or taco bell just took credit for other people's work or who knows they might have like hired an intern to churn out these games they don't look that complicated so the x games uh is still in existence and they are a series of sporting events but like like you go to an x game it's an it's a location yeah it's a venue. It, but it's also it's a brand like there yeah it's isn't, definitely like, a brand like you can't just have like a bunch of dudes hanging out and you put up a poster and say we're the x games because then you'll be sued <laughs> No, no, yeah, for sure. It is definitely a brand. It actually was just recently sold, too. Man, the Xscapes were really popular for a while in, like, this period. But I remember there was everything. There was, like, the sequel to the Goofy movie is themed on the X Games. And then there was Rocket Power did an X Games episode. Arguably, the X Games started in the 90s because they're about 20-something years old. So when they came out, I think it was just really popular. They were owned at one point in time by ESPN. But recently, like, as of, like, last year, ESPN sold the X Games to a private equity firm. I did read through my research and figuring out if the X Games are still a thing. The X Games have never drug tested any of their competitors and they get a little bit of controversy from that because apparently the rule is we don't care. Now we're going to talk about um, the last franchise because we we can't be able to go through a fast food episode and talk about McDonald's, Domino's, and Taco Bell and not talk about Burger King. There were three games that were developed for Burger King by a company called Blitz Games and released in 2006 as part of a promotional release. These games were all sold for $3.99 with any value meal. So you buy a value meal, you pay four bucks, you get a game. Uh, the origin of the games came about when a senior executives from Burger King and Microsoft met at the awards for the subservient chicken and I Love Bees marketing campaigns at the Cannes Film Festival. The executives discussed the idea of a Burger King themed game that could also be fun and not just be a, a jumping bean that was breakout. They wanted maybe to have a Burger King game that was actually a good game. In the fall of 2005, Blitz Games began to work with Burger King and began development of the games. The original team at Blitz started at 15 people and grew to over 80 over the course of development. Part of the project was making two versions of the games, one for the original Xbox and one for the Xbox 360. And I believe 
believe one of the ways to save development costs is that the discs actually include both versions of the game, so the machine simply opens the appropriate executable when the disc is inserted. So it goes, oh, you have a 360, we're going to start the 360 game. While the team was able to score extra time to work on the game, they really only had about seven months to create three games and two versions of each game. And one of the things that they did that I heard an interview of one of the developers from Blitz Games talking about how they were able to develop these Burger King games and why they came out in the quality that they did because they did come out with pretty decent quality. They're not terrible games, to be honest. Like they're, They are not terrible games. They're not amazing. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like give them game of the year. They're decidedly $4 worth. <laughs> yeah. If I got one of these games as a child, I would have played the hell out of it. <laughs> one of the ways they did it was I think one of the games, and to be honest, you'll have to look up the interview. I think it was with uh, Leroy Patterson, um, who we'll talk a little bit about, but that interview, uh, he was talking to the developer, and apparently they said that they, at one point in time, essentially ghost wrote the development of one of the games, where they sent it to another company and were like, yep, we're working on it, and some other company actually did the coding. But one of the one of the interesting things that I thought that they did was they developed the game independently of developing the art, because... The art was so important to the brand, because it's a brand, that the art was going to have a lot of backwards and forwards pushback. And so what they would do is they had an entire art team just work by themselves developing all the art. And then they had the gameplay team developing the actual game. And they used placeholder images until the art came through. And Zach will talk a little bit about Sneak King, but one of the things that was interesting about Sneak King is that the game was not fun without the art. The game was, in fact, pretty boring. Where, like, the cart games were actually pretty fun without the art. Sneak King wasn't. But once they added the art, they were like, now it's fun and hilarious. One of the three games that they did was Pocket Bike Racer. Now, in Pocket Bike Racer, you race on pocket bikes. Pocket bike being an incredibly small motorcycle that are illegal in some states. In the game, you could choose one of the five races. A Burger King parking lot, a construction site, a neighborhood, the King's Garden, and a fantasy ranch. What I like is three of those places are definitely places you get arrested for riding a pocket bike. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and the Fantasy Ranch is one of them. The game features multiplayer with up to four players split screen and eight players online with Xbox Live or a single player game. The game also predominantly features television personality Brooke Burke on the cover and as a playable character. Now in Sneak King, it's a stealth game that originally was going to be a top-down puzzle game but evolved into what it is, which is a little terrifying. In the game, you play as the king uh, who's Burger King's, in my opinion, very creepy mascot. He's like a man wearing a, uh, like a king outfit and a plastic head with a weird-looking smiling face on it. What I find kind of interesting is if you if you take Domino's, Taco Bell, Burger King, and McDonald's, and you take those mascots and you look at them, the two that are not human are the ones that aren't the weirdest. Arguably, Taco Bell has a dog as their mascot, or did, and the Domino's has the Noid, which is some sort of creature. They are not creepy. Ronald McDonald and the Burger King King 
are creepy, creepy people. The King, for sure. The King, I think, is creepier than Ronald McDonald just because he's unnerving. Like, Ronald <laughs> yes. McDonald is a clown, and clowns are automatically a little scary, but the King is just unnerving. I this We don't have this in the notes, but it was part of the interview, and I thought it was hilarious. So when they did the King, Sneak King... You play as the Burger King's mascot. Uh, they mo-capped it. And when they did the mo-capping originally, they couldn't get it right because something was missing. Do you know what that thing was? The, you know what was missing? The terrifying face. Correct. So do you know what they did? They asked for it and Burger King sent it to them. So do you know what the developers did when they got it? They ran around with it on their heads. And eventually the Burger King rep came and the Burger King rep said, hey, did you get the package? And they said, yes. And the Burger King rep said, don't put it on. <laughs> because it was extremely, like it was their only one or something, <laughs> but it was like, very valuable. So he's like, don't fool around with this. And they were like, oh no, we haven't done that. Which oh, they we previously definitely did spent. not fool around with it. <laughs> <laughs> with this creepy ass burger king mask but yeah i thought that was a, a fun antidote in the game sneak king uh again you're playing as the, the king and you're tasked with sneaking up to innocent people and giving them food because they are hungry <laughs> you explore a cul-de-sac sawmill construction zone and downtown each level has 20 different challenges and there's a free play mode and a challenge mode in challenge mode you're you're directly tasked with delivering the food to the hungry npcs and your job is to not get caught if you are caught the NPC will lose their appetite, which in all fairness, if I saw the king, I would also lose my appetite. Leroy Patterson, a professional wrestler, stuntman, and video editor slash YouTuber, owns around 3,000 copies of Sneak King as of 2021. Inspired by tales of games like Pepsi Man becoming valuable, uh, which we'll talk about Pepsi Man in the future, Leroy would go on to buy one of each Burger King game. Then years went on and he found 50 of them at the dollar store and said to himself, man, you know what would be funny? If I owned a bunch and gave them out as gag gifts. Then he ended up just keeping them and started collecting them first as a joke, but now as a passion. Kind of reminds me of the person who collects VHS copies of Speed, the Keanu Reeves movie and has like thousands and thousands of copies of speed the last game that we'll talk about which is also part of this line of burger king games is big bumpin uh we don't have a lot to say about big bumpin but i do love the name big bumpin is a bumper car game where you can play as brooke burke the burger king the subservient chicken and other assorted characters you do combat in the ice box the broiler king's court the deep and Monsoon of Doom. Three of these places sound like other names for prison. <laughs> the game featured four-player multiplayer, and you could do eight players using Xbox Live. Th these games are not terrible, the Burger King games. They're they're playable. Part of the appeal of Sneak King is the fact that you are playing as this creepy king and trying to give people food without their consent. <laughs> like, you're sneaking up on people and just handing them burgers when they're not looking. And doing this without the Burger King aesthetic would make the game significantly less fun. But I think that's kind of a case with a lot of these games. I mean, if you think about it, part of the appeal of a game like Tasty Temple Challenge or Grimace's Birthday, or McKids, is the fact that there is also the appeal of the fact that these are themed in some way, right? Like, I feel like McKids would just be a generic platformer if it wasn't for the fact that Ronald McDonald is tasking you with the job of collecting McDonald's cards. Or Yo Noid would just also be a generic platformer if the job wasn't to try to delay pizza delivery men. There is kind of a fun appeal to these games because of the fact that they are fast food themed. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, that's going to be our episode on fast food games. We may do an episode about fast food themed games. <laughs> yeah, who knows? I mean, we can still talk about Burger Time and Fast Food Tycoon. There's also always a time to talk about Pepsi Man. That's true. Um, there are a series of games that Pepsi's done. So if people enjoy this episode talking about games that were fast food games, we can also go into other weird companies that made weird games like Pepsi. Anyway, to get on to the Retro Rewind, Zach had me playing Soccer Kid, which is a 1993 side-scrolling platform a game that was released for a number of different platforms over the years, including and first the Amiga and then ported over to the 3DO, CD32, Jaguar, Game Boy Advance eventually, uh, PlayStation, Super Nintendo, Windows Mobile, and MS-DOS. And Zach had me play the MS-DOS version, which is arguably probably one of the harder versions because it's a platformer and you have to use your keyboard. And usually platformers are easier to play on a controller. The game has you playing as the titular soccer kid, and you have to travel through different countries and cities and trying to retrieve the World Cup and free the world from an alien pirate named Scab. You go through multiple different countries in each country three times. So like in England, you go through uh, like a, a city in England, you go through the countryside, then you go through London proper, and then you fight a caricature boss of the country. So for England, it was a very British looking rugby player. Now, reviews at the time said that the character moves of the soccer kid are too fiddly and using the soccer ball as a weapon is a bit tough, and I would agree with that. The game ends up being pretty tough as you can only get hit about three times and you can get hit pretty easily before you die and you also have no real defense when you don't have your soccer ball which will occasionally just roll off or pop and then you won't have your soccer ball which is what you use to kill enemies with which is kind of annoying it's like playing a game with a gun and you dropping the gun Overall, it's a pretty rough platformer to play. I think it's a pretty tough platformer, and I don't know if it really holds up. So I would recommend if you really like soccer, I guess, maybe. But ultimately, there's better platformers out there that were released in the same year. Zach, you could play for next week Shadow Warrior for the MS-DOS. Okay. Last week, uh, Seth asked me to play Abuse. Uh, Abuse was created by Crack.com, which when I launched the game, I thought that was just the name of like the, uh, the team that like released the Cracked version of this game. Oh, fun. But, but no. No, it's, it is the company that, yeah, it's the developers. Uh, and they released the game back in 1996. It's a side-scrolling run and gun, and you play as a guy named Nick Vrenna, who kind of looks like the Predator on the box art, but he's in fact not the Predator. He's just a man who's wearing some like weird armor. And you run through a prison because your character has just escaped prison. And you shoot monsters who were in fact other prisoners that were infected by a substance called abuse. The game is fast paced and honestly pretty enjoyable. Uh, the combat is solely driven by the mouse and all of their actions are pretty much solely driven by the arrow keys. So if you need to activate an object, you press down with the arrow keys. If you need to jump, you press up with the arrow keys um and then everything else is just done with the mouse you just point and shoot it's fast paced you're running around you're blasting at enemies and uh i also really liked the creepy music which was done by bobby prince who also did the music for doom and wolfenstein so that might be why i liked the creepy music as a fun fact abuse was ported to the mac and bungie did the port another fun fact is that abuse is totally in the public domain which is really fun fact so you can just go and play this game whenever you want does abuse hold up i think so it's a fun game i'll definitely play it again i really liked it and yeah give it a shot if you can uh, get a copy next week seth you can play a game from our childhood mixed up mother goose hmm. 
All right. Now, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. If you have any questions about today's topics, feel free to email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. We're available wherever podcasts can be listened to, such as iHeartRadio or Podbean or iTunes. Uh, Be sure to also follow us on Facebook, Classic Gaming Brothers, Twitter, uh, CG Brothers Pod, Instagram, Classic Gaming Brothers, or Blue Sky, CG Brothers Pod. And with that, Seth, am I forgetting anything? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. That's right.